This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. You know what I want? <laughs> I want a pump Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk, and today, a guest <laughs> recently for the Orlando Magic. Um, well, not a guest for the Orlando Magic, but a guest on ESPN Orlando on their radio show, Adam McQueen, and now a guest here for the second time. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, buddy. I'm kind of, I have my big shot, ESPN, my, my 10 minutes, and I think that's it. They don't want me back again. Not enough hot takes for him. Yeah, you gotta you gotta enter the type of status of Stephen A. Smith. You know, you gotta you gotta be a little bit more please for me. You really <laughs> well, gotta I, break it out. I hung up on the phone with him. I was like, oh, this guy's a nice fella. So I carried on listening to their show for a little bit. And then he started just screaming load management about 20 times over into the mic. And that was that. He said, we the South, we don't do load management. I was like, all right, well, I wasted 10 minutes talking to this fella. Nice guy, though. <laughs> That's It's a weird thing that a lot of people are so pedantic about the load management. Like, oh, I know. I, it seems like it makes so much sense. I've never had any quibbles or any gripes with it over the course of the year. I'm just like, well, obviously, we want to keep Kawhi Leonard. We're trying to make him comfortable. Let him rest when he wants to rest, I guess. If he's going to come out here, and we'll get into this a bit later, but put up like a top five playoffs performance of all time, not just with the Raptors, but over the course of his playoff games, he's been one of the greatest players statistically. Like, let the guy miss 20 regular season games. What does it matter, you know? Yeah, people are freaking out. LeBron took three months off. Yeah, LeBron's a whole other thing, too. That was... The craziest stat I think I ever saw, I believe, I think I'm within 5%. I'm not exactly sure what the exact percent is. But when they measured how much, like what percent of the time he spends walking while on the floor, and it was like 86% of his time on the floor spent walking, I was like, I just don't understand how a person does that. 
86 <laughs> percent and did so, espn released that article being like he's broken the game of basketball he's figured out a way to be on the court for like 42 minutes it's like yeah but he's also gone at a snail's pace for most of it well that's the thing yeah that it totally was paired with that article and good good catch i'm glad you got it too um but the thing is like a big part of that is because he just sits at the back end of the defense and does nothing <laughs> like and then like the only times he'll run is when he engages in a pick and roll where he recognizes a very very straightforward transition opportunity i like how Otherwise, we started off just ripping on a player of a generation well i i i think lebron is the player of the generation but i there he definitely there's caveats for how he handles himself and you know his cult of personality is is definitely something to 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 laugh at a little bit but yeah he's uh lebron is the greatest player of my time watching basketball and it's not relatively close i guess oh, kevin durant would be second uh i guess talking about great players we'll talk about a guy who is formerly great now loved and grizzled and just ready to unleash himself on joel Embiid after shutting him down in game one, one of your favorite players ever. And uh, I think secretly the reason you started writing for Raptors Republic. (laughs) Mark Gasol has had an absolutely fantastic playoff so far. Since he's one of your favorite players, I'd like you to talk about him. Go nuts. So first of all, just for people listening, this is how much I love Samson is, Game one happens. Kawhi has one of the greatest performances I've seen in a long time. And we're preparing for this pod. And he goes, yeah, I'm just going to open and let you just talk about how much you love Gasol. So thank you so much, Samson. And without further ado, the reason that the Toronto Raptors are going to win the NBA championship is because they acquired Mark Gasol. Is that ESPN hot take enough for you? That's a hot take for sure. That's definitely (laughs) a hot take. And I mean, everyone can see the defensive impact he's had. Vucevic, he wiped him off the floor. And then all the stats started coming up. And I obviously explored it in the series preview, his individual matchup with Embiid. And he showed it in game one, what he can do there. And it's not just, he okay, he's not the same athletically. But everyone keeps saying that over and over. And he's still putting out these performances. And it's the way that he kind of, meshes and gels with the other players on the court i think once he kind of has that understanding of his teammates tendencies and maybe their weaknesses and their strengths he can kind of play to that because he's such an intelligent player and i think when i look back to pete gasol and his defensive player of the year campaign he didn't have mind-blowing stats their team defense was ridiculous and i mean they also had ridiculous defenders accompanying him but it was more the fact that he's kind of that he's kind of the brain trust in the middle that kind of oversees to make sure that everything is working on that defensive end of the floor. And I think that's first and foremost, what he's brought to the Raptors and everyone's been talking this, this Raptors defense has made them a title contender. So, I mean, if I'm going to go off first here, defense, Marcus all shutting down Joel Embiid and in Nikola Vucevic's life, it's just everything you could ask for to start with. Yeah, totally agree. Well, I think that was one of the things that, you know, I highlighted in that in that big piece I wrote about Gasol's defense, how they completely overhauled how they're running the defense on DHOs and pick and rolls with Gasol in those actions. After Augustine, after game one, he suggested that they were looking to hunt 
Gasol in those in those actions. And Gasol's response and the team's response was was so impressive. And not just because Gasol has, you know, a great brain for defense and some of the quickest hands you'll see on a big man that help him mediate the space he wants to on defense. But the way that he cooperates with, say, a Danny Green, a Pascal Siakam, a Kawhi Leonard on keeping the attacking player in the uncomfortable middle of the offense. That's the key to everything, and that's why the Raptors' defense has looked so incredibly good so far. So whether it's Lowry, Green, Siakam, Leonard, whoever he's running those actions with defensively, he's playing the middle so well that he's operating, that he's not going to absorb the player who's attacking. He's not going to absorb the ball handler. He's not going to bounce out on him like 2012 Chris Bosh and hedge the guy out to like the damn sideline. It's not that type of defense, although that would be awesome to see. He's 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 he saved that type of action for let's say Jonathan Isaac on the baseline, Terrence Ross, something like that. But it's the way that he's negotiated the middle and the effort of Lowry Siakam Green and uh, Leonard to catch up and the cerebral type of defense that the whole unit plays especially with Gasol in the middle. And it's a credit not just to Gasol, but also to Lowry and the aforementioned, I don't want to list the four guys for the fourth time in two minutes, but the way that they negotiate the space that they allow to the attacking player is so impressive. We saw it in game one, and I mean, the Raptors, they lost the minutes without Gasol on the floor. Like, they really did. And it's because Embiid was able to, for some reason... Nurse decided that it wasn't that important to match minutes with Embiid <laughs> for some reason. However, when they had Gasol on the floor, you saw not, not only did Embiid have a lot of trouble, but Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris. J.J. Redick, was, he wasn't that impactful until the third quarter for a stretch, but the aforementioned guys were picking up their dribble at really inopportune times for them. And it wasn't picking it up for a jump stop. It was picking it up while moving left to right. It wasn't moving towards the basket. It wasn't like a James Harden pickup where you, you know, you can put up a floater, you can do a bounce pass, pocket pass, or throw an oop. It wasn't anything like that. It was making them pick the ball up while they're moving horizontally, not vertically. Like it it was just it's such a clever type of defense and it requires so much attention to detail and so much so much teamwork on that end that just I've been so impressed because it is obvious that Marcus All has physical limitations. He had them when he won Defensive Player of the Year, by the way. But the way that they've negotiated the space for him and the defender, whoever he's linking up with, to completely just cut the legs off of any pick and roll action is I haven't seen this from any two players in a Raptors jersey. And the fact that no matter who he's paired up with, that happens is geez I, it, like talking about it makes me think that you saying the Raptors will win the championship doesn't sound too crazy I still think that's not the most likely outcome but <laughs> talking about Gasol and the cerebral type of defense that accompanies him with obviously Kawhi Leonard in tow another defensive player of the year winner there's just there's so many things to like about Gasol, and that's just his defense. And I, I hardly, neither of us really touched on how he plays Embiid in the post. It's just, oh, do you have it's, anything it's, about it's that? Ridiculous. I mean, his physicality is is incredible. I mean, even though he's slimmed down, but it's actually helped him. And the way 
that he just dislodges people from the block is what I love most. Is I mean, Embiid against 90% of the league can get the exact post position that he wants, right? He gets the ball fed in, and most guys is just simply overpowering. But before Embiid even gets the ball, you can see the amount of physical exertion it's taken him to even get close to the spot he wants. And, I mean, when we looked at Vucevic, I, I pulled a couple of clips when I was doing a lot of the game recaps and columns or whatever, but you could just see him just usher, usher Vucevic out to the periphery. And every time Vucevic would send the ball out and try and repost, he'd be another two feet backwards. And it's like those simple little things, those several feet that he pushes Vucevic or Embiid away from the basket, lowers their shooting percentage or their playmaking abilities by those slight degrees that, is resulting in the Raptors' defense just shutting them down. Because once you get that post position, if you force them to post up or and beat the face up that far away, now they have to deal with, as you mentioned, Kawhi or Pascal kind of lurking off of their defender. And, I mean, you see how twitchy of a defender Siakam is. He can just keep kind of darting back and forth between that shooter and Embiid. And, I mean... As I also talked about in the preview as well, with Ben Simmons in that dunker spot. Now, if Embiid's looking for that po- uh, pass across the court, you've got Kawhi that's going to lurk, lurk from under the rim that's pretty much going to at least get a hand on that pass nearly every time. And those are kind of the things how Marcus Gasol's little, little um, skill set there in terms of moving him a couple feet away from the basket contributes to the whole team defense and the other players on the team. I'm so happy you brought that up. And actually, the way you frame that is perfect. The the outstanding effects it has for the rest of the Raptors' defense and how it plays into how they like to play defense and plays mm-hmm. to Leonard and Siakam's inherent strengths, it's so important. And that's the crazy thing is most defense, everyone, for example, today when Giannis and Al Horford were going at it at the rim. Horford generally got the better of Giannis, and that was that was great to watch, and it was it was fun. Horford was doing a really good job at the top contesting, got a couple blocks, but with Gasol, who doesn't get a ton of blocks, the work starts at the twenty-four second shot clock. He like reposts in the NBA in this version of the NBA in two thousand nineteen are generally very very efficient. Because there's not as much effort put into fighting mm-hmm. the post up or working against it. The fact that when Vucevic or MB try to repost, it's a net negative. And the fact that it's taking time off the clock, it's, I can't imagine a more demoralizing type of thing aside from maybe like Kyle Lowry's like completely snuffing out a post up for a very big wing player. <laughs> but Gasol, like his job denying post presence to to people who rely on post presence and especially Embiid is a bad passer around the perimeter it's Mm -hmm. a big part of why he's such he's such a high turnover guy but he's actually a very good passer on the low block Mm -hmm. just the little like you said the margin of Gasol moving him from the low block to maybe like the 45 or spaced out a little bit more at the elbow it it completely changes the whole symmetry of his game, and we're we're we saw the repercussions of it. It was, and that's the thing is Ibaka, especially in the second half, wasn't so bad on Embiid, but it's still not the same because Ibaka can contest Embiid at the rim just fine, but it's Ibaka doesn't have the isn't in the weight class to 
deny and mm-hmm. bead this like the space in the post. But Gasol works early and often and completely just threw out, let's say, the 76ers whole offense. And that's that's something we're going to see, you know, in game two. And I, I've got like I got endless. Once you said Gasol, go ahead. I've got endless notes of what I want to say about Gasol. But I do also have to acknowledge that I feel bad for Embiid in some of these situations, in these post-up situations. And as great as Gasol has been, Philadelphia really don't do themselves any justice with how good of a player he is and what they set up around him. I was re-watching the game today, and there was this one clip. He Embiid is facing up against Gasol, and it's, I think it's late in the second quarter. And they clear out the whole side of the court for him to kind of go at Gasol. And obviously, then the help defenders start kind of edging towards him. But what Philadelphia did, you have James Ennis coming from the the weak side, and he slashes towards the basket, but really just brings another defender to go help on Embiid. Then you have Jimmy Butler, and he's literally six feet beyond the three-point line, at just uh, at the top of the key. And then you have Jonah Bolden spacing, and you have Ben Simmons in the dunker position, allowing Kawhi to be at the rim. So. As great as Gasol has been, the way that Philadelphia set up their offense for um, for Embiid, it just hinders everything that he's good at, and it's just it, I feel bad for him because he's a great player, and I, I I'm a big fan of Embiid. But as someone that is clearly rooting for the Raptors, it's great to see how clogged up their offense is in those situations. Well, and that's the thing too, right? Is Embiid also probably if he's fully healthy would have a bit of, you know, well, a decent amount of athleticism on Gasol. So if they did mm-hmm. clear out, his face-up game could be a lot more lethal. His his spin game, like, the way he would, let's say, drop step would be a lot better and a lot more effective. But spinning on a knee that's injured and, like, those quick, like, turning movements are not so quick anymore. And so he's just left to do this kind of bullish post-up on Gasol, who that's exactly the player you want to avoid doing that. And yeah, I totally agree. Brett Brown, kind of, they leave him on an island to deal with a guy who is is no longer a defensive player of the year. But I don't know that his post-up play or his post-up defense has faltered at all since 2013. There's other facets of his defense that have fallen off a little bit, but his post-up defense seems to be at the exact place that it was when he won. And just leaving Embiid to do that and saying, this is one of the cogs of our offense seems lazy. And that's, maybe we'll we'll skip to something else. And what do you, or I guess that is a Twitter question, so we'll leave that for that. I, <laughs> I, I've got one more Gasol thing I just wanted to Definitely. bring up. Uh, it's not necessarily offensive side of the floor, but because you, you come to me and you say, what does was Gasol kind of change with this team? And you look at the box score as we've acknowledged, and it's also the Kyle Lowry experience now that, there's nothing that stands out particularly besides some of the the net ratings and the plus minus, but in the actual individual statistics, stuff doesn't really pop out at you when you're looking at Gasol's impact. But what I think he has done with this Raptors team, and I'm starting to see it more and more now, is he's kind of enabled the hierarchy of that offense to kind of fall into place as well. I think before he was there, that there was still a great team because there was that much talent on that team, but you could see that Kawhi was operating outside the existence of the Raptors offense. You could see Kyle Lowry being incredibly deferential when he was sharing the floor with 
Kawhi to the point where it was almost becoming a detriment to the team or as much as a detriment as Kyle Lowry can be because he's pretty much always a positive factor for the Raptors. And then when Gasol comes in, he's almost been that bridge that's kind of brought Kawhi more involved in the offense, especially in those pick-and-roll situations. And I mean, there's another thing, like his screens he's setting and allowing Kawhi, who doesn't need any space, that ample room to just kind of ease into that mid-range game. And then he's also developed that two-man game with Lowry, which is incredibly important. And I mean, again, Lowry didn't shoot very well yesterday, but there were a couple of the he missed a couple threes, and then he had, I think, maybe two different give-and-go situations with Gasol, and Gasol just set him up for two easy layups and got him those easy buckets so that he doesn't have to listen to Twitter yelling at the fact that he has zero points. So I think that's where Gasol really has come in, in just a holistic approach and how the Raptors have kind of built their personality now. They have an identity when Gasol joined the team. Yeah, there's a ton of different ways to describe it. Conduit, connective tissue, something like that. Gasol has a profound impact on how the Raptors play offense. And like you said, it has massaged a lot of the stressors that came along with trying to incorporate Kawhi Leonard's offense into the Raptors right alongside the Kyle Lowry pick-and-roll offense that has been a very big part of the Raptors' offense for the last five, six years. Kawhi is... He doesn't play... Like, a lot of people probably thought that Kawhi and DeMar both iso a lot. DeMar rarely isos, honestly. He just... He needs the pick-and-roll to create separation to get Mm -hmm. going downhill. Kawhi, even though he... Athletically, he isn't at the same place he was, let's say, in 2014, 2015... He's still like such an imposing ISO player, and some of the offense has to has to cater to that. But Gasol, who man, just the way that he operates in the middle, he can't he can't go into a post up and smash a guy with his shoulder and go to a right hook six times a game. He can't do that. But what he can do is operate as one of the highest IQ big men in the league as one of the centerpieces of a five-out offense, and he's going to shoot 53% from downtown <laughs> while he's doing it. I, oh, God. I, yes, he is. There's so many yes, things. Yes, he is. There's so many things. It's, God, it is a pleasure to have him on the team. It's That was the thing. is I remember we did that slack afterwards, and they will not be named, but there are quite a few RR writers who were not so big on, you know, the... For haters, give away Valanciunas and get back Gasol. I but like I think that this is what everyone who was positive towards the trade envisioned, and maybe not even this high a ceiling. But geez, has it ever reached its ceiling? And maybe not even now. Just having Gasol makes the Raptors one of the funnest teams to watch in the league, and may make them the most successful team in the league. And by that, Mm -hmm. I mean this could transform the Raptors especially the offense, the variety that they can bring, the adaptability they can bring, this really makes them look like they have serious chops to go to the NBA Finals and and maybe take it. I guess we'll see how things shake up over the next couple of rounds. Jeez, they look good right now. And another guy who's a big part of that, and this is the second thing we'll talk about, Kawhi. And it's, it's crazy how good Gasol has been that we're not talking about Kawhi to lead things off. <laughs> But we like to shake it up. 
Um, You're just doing that so, to pander to me, buddy. I get it. I get it. No, I think that it's more fun to talk about Gasol right now than Kawhi. Kawhi is like, see Gasol and Kyle Lowry, you can be so creative when talking about them. But Kawhi is like a robot who grabs the ball. And then just like, <laughs> like, Jimmy Butler looked like me out there. I don't know. And Jimmy and Jimmy it's, Butler's good. That's it's so hard. Thing. It's so hard because I want to come onto this podcast. So when I write columns, or I want to give some like insightful analysis. I want to look at like some small minutia as to why this this certain play is working or why the defense has suddenly gotten to the level it's at. But with Kawhi, you just watching like anyone can see like this guy is just playing a different sport at times to the other people, the other nine guys on the court. It's ridiculous, man. And. I was actually when I first watched this game yesterday. I had a I had a rugby game and then, uh, so the tip off started and I was in the clubhouse. I no one really cares about rugby too much. I don't know why they're they're idiots. They don't care too much about basketball. Some of the rugby guys on my team, but I'm I'm tucked away in the corner, just fixated on the game, obviously. And a couple guys kind of poked their head and like, oh yeah, this is that Kawhi guy. He's good, whatever. Kind of, they they're kind of not really interested. And then. As Kawhi started doing what he was doing to the Philadelphia 76ers, I swear to God, there was about like 12 to 15 guys just glued to the TV, just in awe. Like, and I think that's kind of sums it up is that people that don't even know what's going on with basketball just look and they can see that Kawhi is just head and shoulders better than anyone else on the floor. Yeah, he's he's absolutely clinical. And I don't think it's talked about how strong he is. There's certain underlying mm-hmm. features of players that I think it takes a long time to understand. 2013 Kyle Lowry was still probably rejecting big man post-ups at the same level, but it wasn't, it didn't enter like the, let's say the blogosphere, the wider known, I guess, identity of who the Raptors are. And same thing is watching DeMar DeRozan. He's my favorite player and watching him for so long. I always, I never understood why he didn't get easy layups like the rest of players and it's because his first step is criminally slow so he mm-hmm. has to go up with contact he has to do those types of things and watching Kawhi, when you watch like you watch back the 2012 13 14 playoffs you say to yourself like this kid is just he plays the game like straight up and down like there's no bend it's only in his forearms when he's dribbling the basketball and you see these older guys are just bouncing off of him and Kawhi doesn't look thick and that continued and has continued for the rest of his career is just people bounce off of him in the lane and maybe that's oh my that's god that finish to... that finish he had over Ben Simmons yeah when he was rampaging towards the rim I don't even, he was going at a ridiculous rate and takes that collision with a six foot ten guy just freezes in midair and then just cool as you like just dropped it in the hoop it was it's, it's insane. Speaking of 2014, have you noticed the reemergence of one of the most underrated gifts around since Kawhi's become former Kawhi robot? Do you know which one I'm talking about? Why don't you tell me? The one in the finals, I cannot remember if it was when Miami beat them or lost to them, but LeBron is at the free throw line and looks over and sees Kawhi is checking in to take him again or Oh, yeah, up yeah, on him yeah. again, and he just looks and cusses to himself and just shakes his head. And then Kawhi the robot just kind of marches his way onto the floor and assumes defensive position. It is so good, and it just encapsulates how great Kawhi is. That, like you said, the player of our generation could not handle him in the finals. 
He was like 22 at that point in time, maybe 21. That was a crazy thing. But wow. yeah, as I was, I was gonna say, like, and maybe it's a, a very big credit to the Magic that they defended Kawhi so well at the rim for that whole series, even though it was a quick series. They did a hell of a job because the 76ers look sore and confused and just beside themselves with how they might actually defend him. And a big part of that, and I, we won't go back into the conversation about him, but Saul forcing you know, Embiid to step out. Embiid didn't play any role as a rim protector in that game. Like zero. He was not impactful at, at his own end on defense. And Kawhi, my God, like I that was what I wrote my you know my feature about after game one was Kawhi, Siakam, and Gasol. Lean on me, dependable people, that type of thing. <laughs> and geez, man, like Kawhi completely shook up their pick and roll defense four possessions into the game. Well, what, like they completely what do you do abandoned the drop? What do you do if you're in beat, man? Like, he's, again, on offense, he's on an island, and on defense, he's on an island, because a lot has been said about Jimmy Butler being a good defender, and he is a good defender, and Ben Simmons was good against D'Angelo Russell, but throughout the season, Philly's defense wasn't that good. Embiid was bailing them out at the rim a ton, and the dribble penetration that Kawhi or Lara, anyone really sending a pick and roll right now is getting, it puts Embiid under so much stress because, as well, especially with Kawhi now, as he's hitting that mid-range. So what 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 can Embiid do? Their their whole season they've gone along with just funneling people into the paint towards Embiid. Now people are knocking down mid-rangers. They're getting so much se- separation because the on-ball defender, in my opinion, have not been performing all season for them. And now you've got Gasol as well popping out to three. So. It's it's like a lose 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 situation at at this point for Embiid, and I don't know how they're going to counter it. I'm sure they'll go to some like aggressive trapping scheme, but I don't know if they're well drilled enough, or if he's quick enough, or fit enough. And I don't know. I think that this was the first punch, and whatever Philly throw back defensively, the Raptors have plenty of answers. Yeah. And maybe that's, we'll get into that um, when the Twitter questions come around. And uh, before we get into the Twitter questions, we'll take a, a quick break. And the listeners, that's you, listener, you will, uh, you'll hear an advertisement from Brian Goldfinger. I'm Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Injury Lawyers. Accidents happen, and when they do, you'll want a lawyer who will stand up to the insurance company and fight for your rights. In case of emergency, have this name in your back pocket, Goldfinger, Brian Goldfinger. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Hello and welcome back. Yes, it is your host, Samson Folk. And yes, we're still joined by um, ESPN exec, Adam McQueen. (laughs) And uh, we're going to be taking Twitter questions. And uh, the first Twitter question, and I'll swing this first to you, Adam, is from Mike Lauzon at Mountio1. I assume they will double Kawhi like crazy in game two. What adjustments would you make if they do? Huh. Well, I mean, it depends on the situation that they're going to double him. Like, if they're going to run pick and roll, then I'm assuming that means that they're going to trap. I, I wouldn't just fly an extra help defender off because the Raptors have plenty of three-point shooters. But, I mean, if they try that pick and trap in that pick and roll, and I mean, if Kawhi was to have one flaw, I guess it is his playmaking, and he doesn't 
read a pass as well as some of the, the top passes in the game, I guess. Not as well as Gasol or Lowry does. But, I mean, if he sees that coming, I think he's going to be able to hit that pass. And you're just going to have Gasol slipping to the free throw line. And now he's going to get to pick your poison with a, what, a three-on-two, a four-on-three with corner shooters on either side of him. So, I mean, they're probably going to try and get the ball out of Kawhi's hands. And, I mean, could you blame him? But... I don't necessarily think that's going to alleviate their issues. And one thing I liked that they did a couple times, Toronto, was they ran a they ran Kawhi Danny Green pick and rolls. And the reason I like that is because they've got JJ Redick on Danny Green, and so and they that's the only situation that they were trapping right away on those pick and roll situations. But when it's JJ Redick. He, he's tiny out there. So that's such an easy pass for Kawhi to dish to Danny Green in that situation. And so they ran it a couple times. And every time he just got Danny Green right into the paint. And then Danny Green could just pick that pass to the corner. I think he hit Pascal for a corner three, which is just money. And so they've got plenty of different ways to get out of that potential double team. Um, you mentioned as well in your feature, the amount once, uh, once Embiid started stepping up as well in that pick and roll and that James Ennis was helping off ever so slightly, like if Kawhi sees that pass, which Nick Nurse is surely going to show him that Danny Green's got about, what, five, six feet of space there to shoot. And you know what happens when Danny Green has that much space to shoot. So I think those are probably the options. What do you think about his ISO situations? Well, so what I was going to say is the crazy thing, and maybe like you alluded to in my piece was, and Danny Green was wide open. The most important part was that Danny Green was wide open, only one pass away. Generally, <laughs> it's the skip pass. You know, top three, three-point shooter in the league, one pass away from the initial action, wide open. Like, what? There was no rotation. And I, I don't think the 76ers are, are particularly good defense, but they do have good defensive pieces. And I don't think... And I completely agree with you that if they want to double, if they want to put a lot of pressure on ball, Kawhi will make the the requisite pass that needs to be made. But also, if they just try and like ramp up the attention he gets, I think that's bad news because a Danny Green pick and roll is there. A Kawhi, like I'm saying, these are the pick and roll partners. He can he can link up with Lowry as the screener, Green is the screener, Siakam is the screener, and Gasol is the screener. He can do that with every single one of them. And they can just, and that's, I spoke about the variety that their offense has. And that's one of the most important things in the playoffs is if you want, the Raptors can turn Kawhi Leonard into James Harden and they can just hunt mismatches and he can eat for the rest of the day. He can do whatever he wants. I think for the 76ers, the best way forward is to, to not double. I don't think you double Kawhi Leonard. I think you put a top 20 defender league-wide, Ben Simmons, on Kawhi Leonard, and you say, like, Ben, man, you can win us this series if you if you rise to your superstardom a bit earlier than expected. Because Simmons played awesome on offense, I thought, in game one. I thought he was actually very sharp. Mm-hmm. And so, and he, when he did guard Kawhi, I don't know if that stuck out to you as well, it seemed like the most impactful sequences of defense came when Simmons was on Kawhi. Simmons yeah, is I, big, he's fast, and I think he can guard Kawhi. Not not so much that Kawhi becomes 
ineffective. I mean, it's Kawhi Leonard. But I think that's the way forward, honestly. Yeah, and Simmons actually played well. He kind of he went at Kawhi a couple times on the other end as well. And I think that he was probably one of the sole bright spots in the Philadelphia lineup. And yeah, I think it, it's going to come down to Simmons. I mean, at the same time as well, you probably need Harris to not get absolutely eviscerated by Siakam. But at, at least you need Ben Simmons to really step up. And if no one else is going to come with him, then it's, he's going to have to really take the burden on that defensive end. Because, yeah, Jimmy Butler, what what is how much has Jimmy Butler's stock dropped at this point? Like, who who is throwing max money at Jimmy Butler? The Lakers. Always the Lakers. Oh. The Knicks. <laughs> Lakers, maybe, I don't know. I, I, I am of the mind that the Knicks are signing both Kyrie and KD in the summer. I think that sounds fun. I think that would be fun for the league. That's what I think is going to happen. So I don't think that the Knicks will sign Jimmy Butler or Kemba. However, comma, I think that the Lakers will be very eager to throw all the money at Jimmy Butler because I think they don't understand how destructive a Jimmy Butler LeBron James locker room could be. Maybe they do, and they just do not care how bad that could be. But Maybe they're I just planning him. to film a reality show with LeBron's network, and that would just oh, add to Jesus the drama. Man, maybe. Yeah, honestly. that. <laughs> How does this they, keep coming like, back to LeBron and us just dunking on him, man? Le- I love LeBron, but he's so goddamn polarizing. That's his thing. And I, you know LeBron loves it. He tattooed the Chosen One on his shoulders <laughs> when he was like a teenager. Do you know how ballsy you have to be as a teenager to tattoo the Chosen One on Respect. your shoulders? <laughs> yeah, res- you, I mean, if thing. I had that body, I might, I might think about it. But that's the damn thing, right? You have to respect it, because this guy, everybody is like, he's the next Michael Jordan, and that's the thing. They touted a lot of people as the next Michael Jordan after Michael Jordan came along. It's dipped down since 2011. I actually read a really great article about that. But LeBron James just did it. He was hailed as the next big thing, and then he was. How rare is that, you know? So, like, there, there is a certain amount of respect. You just have to throw us away. But also, maybe I didn't notice this when I was saying it, but also maybe only a teenager tattoos the chosen one on his shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe... maybe Too young and naive to realize how ridiculous that really is. Yeah, but his body backed him up. There's that, what is it? Your mouth's writing checks your body can't cash. It's a very famous uh, top flight. Or not Top Flight. Uh, what is that movie called? I don't know what movie. Uh, I just know the Tom, quote. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. He's in it. Top Gun. Top Gun. Oh, That's Top Gun. Is. Oh, my God. Yeah. Dude, that's yeah. embarrassing. Oh, we got to cut that. That was some embarrassing. Yeah, I'm going to get roasted for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Simmons is the fix. Well, not the fix, but I think Simmons is the Band-Aid going forward. So, mm-hmm. Mike Lauzon, thank you for the question. The next question comes from our colleague, Matt Schantz. Did you know it's Schantz, not Chance? I assumed it was Chance. Yeah, Schantz. Schantz makes him sound very intellectual, actually. Oh my gosh, Adam. That's literally what I said to him when I had him. Does he go by Matthew as well or Matt? Um, Matthew Olimus. (laughs) (laughs) Mathieu. Matthew Olimus, yes. Yeah, Schantz. Matt Schantz says, Who is Siakam? Do you, do you have a, Siakam is the best Cameroonian basketball player in this series. Oh my gosh. 
Duala versus Did I say Yante. that? Did I stutter when I said that? You should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Pascal Siakam is a wonderful um, young man who was born in Douala, Cameroon. He was originally going to be uh, a pastor or a priest or some sort of, um, uh, I guess, figurehead in the in the Christianity service. And then he decided to go to a basketball camp, one that was associated with now very famous Masai Ujiri. And eventually ended up going to New Mexico State to play college basketball and getting drafted by Toronto Raptors. And then oh. after he was drafted by the Toronto Raptors, he proceeded to eat the sun and everything in the world. <laughs> How does he hit those shots? It's so unorthodox. Strength. These kind of runner floaters and his body angle when he's shooting these and it's everything is so feathery soft and he doesn't strike you as a guy, especially when he entered the league. And I mean, you read those hilarious scouting reports when he, on his draft day now, but he was kind of going to be considered that energy guy, the high motor, which he obviously still has. But then this kind of ridiculously feathery touch around the rim. He's like this six foot nine. Uh, this is going to be an overstatement, but like Kyrie type finish, but with more power and less finesse, maybe. I'll say this. The Kyrie um, comparison actually isn't overstated, man. Siakam is very special at the rim. Why is he so good there? I don't think that's the question, honestly. When big men don't have a jump shot, typically they have to be pretty creative <laughs> around the rim. I'm not surprised that Siakam, who last year even was one of the worst three-point shooters in NBA history, has good touch around the rim. How would he have existed as a basketball player if he didn't, right? And, like, the amount of shoulder slots he can finish from, like, just how good his touch is around the rim is jaw-dropping, yes. But the real conversation is how, in a league where, after a certain amount of attempts, we say, oh, my gosh, this guy cannot shoot the three. And we look at a guy's physical profile, we say, oh, my gosh, he can't shoot the three. Then we see Siakam put one of the worst three-point shooting seasons of all time in the bag then he comes back, he's like, oh, yeah, I shoot 37% from the floor from downtown and, like, 46% from the corners. That's the crazy thing. Man, I, I mean, how, how did he do it? I wish I was closer to the facility. and I would wonder what some of the guys, the beat writers that are there on a daily basis would say. Like, how they would kind of divvy up the um, the value or... What 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 are the reasons that he got to that level? Like obviously, there's a lot of individual work that's being put in, but at the same time, the coaching staff have empowered him to such a degree. And I mean, that was the kind of hidden benefit between all of Kawhi's load management is that he became the second or first choice option on offense for what thirty to forty games a year, I and see. they they really kind of, they empowered him to take so much such a jump offensively in the in the workload and then he repaid them in full by becoming this ridiculous shooter so is i would love to see the kind of cause and effect uh or the correlation between how much they empowered him and how much was did they see in practice that he was nailing these shots as well i actually have the answer the answer is africans never fail that is the <laughs> the honest to god answer you know Giannis is called the Greek freak, but he's Nigerian. He put on 50 pounds of muscle. I've never seen a guy fill out a body like his. Like, those guys are just destined to be skinny. 
when they hit the NBA. Like you, like Thon Maker, do we expect him to fill out? No. Are we going to be surprised when he's super skinny when he's 29? No. I assumed that Giannis was always going to be skinny. Now he's literally one of the buffest dudes league-wide. Joel Embiid? Dunk on Horford, though. (laughs) Joel Embiid? I mean, and Joel Embiid, he put on, like, what, 100 pounds? He just walked around with, a like, a Porta Shirley Temple around with him, like, for a year and a half. And apparently that was the fix. He just made it sound easy. He's like, oh, yeah, I just ate. Whereas other guys are, like, dying, trying to eat, trying to gain weight. He's like, oh, you know, I just, like, I just eat and I drink Shirley Temple. Is what I like. <laughs> and it's like, really? That's all you did? And he's Jack, too. He's also supremely talented. Pascal Siakam, everyone's like, oh, you, play, you started playing basketball five years ago? Or sorry, let's say four years ago, we'll draft you. Do you think you could shoot? Well, I can't shoot at all. Well, we'll try. Three years later, apparently, you know, last game, he's knocking like triples in in Tobias Harris's face, in Jimmy Butler's face. He's hitting the open ones, things we couldn't get from DeMar DeRozan. I, Africans don't fail. That's, that's my opinion on that. That's my he answer. Is dead to eyes, he is dead eye. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but I really am interested in how the Raptors uh, and how their contract negotiations go in the near future here. Yeah, that that's going to be something. We'll see. Yeah, we, we don't want to get okay, carried down that's an offseason. Next question, and uh, I'm going to take the lead on this one, and it'll be pretty quick. Kurt Mangan, at Kurt underscore Mangan, says, do we need to run more plays for Danny Green, or having him space the floor does enough for the offense? The answer is, we don't need to run more plays for Danny Green. Having him space the floor does enough on the, on offense, yes. But like we saw in game one, they posted up Redick quite a few times, and that was successful. It does throw a wrench at the, the 76ers' defense when the 76ers seem to have the Raptors figured out. It's just something you can go to to kind of punch the 76ers in the mouth and say, oh, yeah, J.J. Redick, that guy you're super reliant on for offense, we're going we're gonna to put him in the post, and we're going to bully him. And, and then he's going to proceed to elbow decided. himself with Danny yeah. Green's elbow. Yeah, and then he's just going to throw he his face at him. Too. I couldn't believe it. I've never seen that. I like there was the the LeBron got hit by Tristan Thompson, but like he didn't know it was Tristan Thompson. And then he then he like ran the full length of the court before <laughs> falling over. Yes, but like JJ Redick, just like I don't know if anybody, I don't know if you have a dog, but like if you play with your dog. And, like, you put your head on the ground and you hide your face. They'll throw their whole body at you trying to get to your face to lick it. Like, and they'll growl and they'll be like, ah, like, they're like, don't hide your face. Where's your face? Give me your face. That's, like, what J.J. Redick was trying to do to Danny Green's armpit. He's like, where's the armpit? Give me the armpit. I need the armpit. And that just resulted in him smashing his own face into Danny Green until he bled. I've never seen anything like that. It My God, J.J. Reddick. We broke J.J. Reddick momentarily. Yeah, yeah, that's the perfect... We broke him. Like, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe he'll explain it on his pod. Maybe he'll have us on for the pod. He's, I think, he's got a great I, pod, man. Um, I, side note, I don't want to go rant too hard about this, but the way that J.J. Reddick attacked the refs there, is it just me, am I, or am I just getting old and curmudgeon now? But how much are players complaining all the time about every damn call these playoffs right now. It is infuriating, I, man. I think it's maybe 
maybe we're more focused on it because I we both saw Raptors or not Raptors, sorry, Rockets Warriors. And that was something else as far as refing goes. Mm. But I think that I think that like we saw Michael Carter Williams and JJ Redick both act that way because they knew they had blood. And I think the players were cognizant, Carter Williams and Redick, that is, that they were bleeding. And as soon as they know they're bleeding and they can show, I think they just go off, man. Because I think they know they have the the let's say the the social currency because they're bleeding that they can just completely lose it on the refs and everybody will be like, well, they missed the call. Like, they're bleeding. They obviously got hammered. So the refs are, you know, big dummy, something What's like he gonna, that. What is he going to do next, though? Is he going to, like, smear some of his blood on, like, Tony Brothers' head to prove it? Like, where, where, to what end? Where do we end this? I mean, I'm a huge soccer fan, but, like, I do not want the NBA to go down that path where the diva players are just completely harassing the refs. Oh, it's yeah. Just, well... I think it's a slippery slope. I think I think it does need to be addressed. And I mean, refereeing can be bad, but at the same time, refereeing basketball is incredibly difficult. And am I the only journalist out there that's going to stand up for the refs here? This is this is a bold stance, but I just think it's there's nothing to be gained with these complaints at this point. And anyways, rent over. Let's move on. More Raptors stuff. Uh, just to make you feel better, I, I would think, based on you know my opinions that I've put out, Blake Murphy's that he's put out, I think that you, uh, you myself, and Blake would all fall into the same, uh, the same pool of thinking that refs do a good job, as far as the journalists go, covering the Raptors anyway. And I, yeah, I do think the refs do a fairly good job. Um, the next question. <clears throat> Let's go. This one is also probably pretty quick, too. Laced sports at Ryan Grossman. Number one, in the two point guard lineups, why is FEV always the primary ball handler when Lowry is the better point guard and FEV is much better too? In the FEV only lineups, the offense tends to drive because he over dribbles. Wouldn't he be better if Siakam ran the point here? Do you want do you want to take this one? Um I had a couple points, not necessarily about the first uh, part that you mentioned there, but Fred Van Vliet, sorry, I'm so bad at saying Fred Van Vliet. There we go. Nailed it. Um, his, <laughs> his integration into the lineup, and I mean, against Orlando, he did have a difficult series. And, like, Orlando and Philly are kind of tough matchups for him. I mean, the sheer size of both of those teams, and he's already an undersized guy, is tough for him. And in Orlando, I think he did over-dribble the ball. But when I watched back this game, I don't, I didn't really have those feelings. I thought he was actually not too bad about really getting Siakam the ball in that second unit. I mean, the Siakam and Bench unit, they only played, what was it, a minute together, and it wasn't great. But the other times where Fred is on the ball, I actually thought they did, they had good sets that got Pascal into areas where he excels. If we make Pascal just the lead ball handler and he runs a pick and roll, I mean, he's great and he can do this, but I prefer... I don't know, maybe an off-ball screen and get him the ball as he's moving onto the ball and he's already one step ahead of the defender. Um, maybe get him into a post-up situation where he can just use that quick spin move. I don't think you necessarily just need to make Pascal Siakam the lead point guard at this point and just he is the de facto ball handler for 15 seconds of the 24 seconds because Siakam is short, sharp bursts. And so... If you can get him those quick hitters, then that's what I would do more so. And I think that's what they did do. 
Yeah. Astute observation, honestly. That's that seems to be the key for Fred Van Vliet is he isn't gonna create the same type of shots as Kyle Lowry does. He's just not capable of that at this point in time in his career. However, um, I think it's worth noting that like they had to do with DeRozan when they wanted to get him going in the playoffs, Siakam doesn't um, have the same type of troubles DeRozan has, but you can look to jumpstart those lineups by being clever in the sets you run. You like it's it's important to give Siakam the ball in motion. It creates a lot of a lot of opportunities for him, and that goes for most players as well. So I think the the bench lineup is generally kind of lazy, and I think that's a product of earlier in the year they honestly they ran the JV and Van Vliet pick and roll, or they threw it into JV. And the good bench nights were when JV scored 24 points on 11 shots, like making eight of them. And the bad bench nights were when JV had six points on like five shot attempts. And there was there seemed to be no in-between. We're still existing in that space as a team, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's inherently wrong and a little bit lazy as far as drawing up, putting the players in positions to win. And the first point, in the two-point guard lineups, why is FEV always a primary ball handler? I think that is uh, an overdrawn, well, maybe not overdrawn. I think it's lived its, I think it's, its duration should be over. And I think it's a holdover from when Kyle Lowry was truly one of the league's best marksmen. There was something to be said about Kyle Lowry of last year who was coming off of pin downs, hitting lots of threes when they would run the one, two, or sorry, two, one pick and roll with DeRozan and him. He would mm-hmm. slip and hit that above the break three. He was he was voluminous from downtown. This year, it's not really the same. His three pointers, he's more of he's shooting off of the swing a lot of the time, and then the other ones are just these hail marys that he he is want to put up and want to make. You know, he he doesn't make those shots, but his shot profile is a lot different this year as opposed to years past, and I think. That the Van Vliet operating as, let's say, the Jarrett Jack to Kyle Lowry's Curry is a holdover from those times. And I, I just I I don't think it should be part of the offense anymore. That's that's, that's a, my gripe on that. That's a that's a good comparison, actually. I like that one a lot. Um But you, you obviously need to give Kyle Lowry a rest at some point. And I wonder what you think in terms of just like some small rotational stuff. I noticed that at the end of the third, they played Van Vliet with the starters to give Lowry a rest. And I mean that could be an option. Obviously, we want the starters out together as much as possible. But like we said, the lineup does torpedo somewhat when Lowry's out, but not if you have four of the starters in there. So you can at least have Fred Van Vliet get his minutes. And like, sorry, I don't know who said the question was, but um, you can have Fred out there, but he's obviously not going to be the focal point in that situation when the four other starters are on the floor. Yeah, I generally, I like Fred, you know, he's he's clever attacking a moving defense, and he's a fantastic spot-up shooter. And he's, like, as far as, I'm going to swear on the podcast here, but as far as a defender, he'll crawl into a guy's ass. Like, he, like he'll get in there. <laughs> like, he's he's very bothersome. And, yeah, you can you can expect that from him. Uh, to Just if Lewis Essman ends up listening to this, I'll just... Uh, Fred Van Bleed is an elite NBA defender. Damn it. Well, uh, my favorite article he's ever written. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, you can expect this level of analysis when you listen to this podcast too. He will crawl up into your ass. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like 
he's a smaller it paints a vivid picture you know <laughs> i hope not honestly <laughs> but that's matthew dolvadova his nickname is the best nickname of all time by the way but it's the human bed bug both because he looks kind of like a rodent and because like the type, the brand of defense he plays is truly irksome. It is just the worst. It, it is like watching Ramsey Bolton do anything. Because <laughs> Ram, Ramsey Snow, you knew he was just a wild boy. And you're like, well, this guy's evil. But when he became emboldened and Ramsey Bolton was now his name, he was like, oh, yes, well, I'll just do whatever I like. And then it was chaos ensued from that point on. He's an absolute madman, and nobody I, liked him. I see you getting the Game of Thrones itch right now. It's just slowly oh, permeating into your, hardly, into your psyche. Yeah, it's it's ent- it's entering the vernacular. I, I'm not sure if I'll <laughs> end this with, like, King in the North. Like, it's Jon Snow. It's King in the North. Something oh, man. Like My hands are shaking already, buddy. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's do it justice, and let's... Uh, Let's say goodbye to everybody so we can go watch uh, the the best, the longest battle scene in film and television history, the Battle of Winterfell. How about that? We could do that for sure. Can I just say one more thing why, why you should love Gasol? I've got three yeah, reasons yeah, yeah. why you should. If, you, if you're listening to this podcast and you're still, look, I love JV, but if you're still anti that trade and you don't like Gasol, I got three simple reasons why you should like him. Number one. He grows his own veggies. How cool is that? Number two, he saves. Um, he spent the whole summer out rescuing migrants that were lost at sea in the Mediterranean Sea. Boom. Number three, he went on How Hungry Are You? And my favorite thing about How Hungry Are You is that Ibaka's just there needling for reactions. He's trying to get them to gross out. And Ibaka just shows him this cow heart. And he's like, ooh. Cowhart, haven't had that in a while, and just starts chowing down so casually. So I had that earlier, and I just wanted the three reasons for the whole world to love Gasol like I do. And he sounds like Javier Bardem. Oh, does he is, ever? Yeah. I don't know if you, you're you a big fan of No Country for Old Men, but I think that's one of the best um, characters ever portrayed is Javier Bardem's character. That he is, that is a badass in that movie. Yeah. What do I stand to gain? Everything. Oh, the coin flip. My God, the coin flip. Well, I feel like <laughs> we've talked it out. This this honestly feels like enough laughs and enough analysis to please any NBA fan, especially a Raptors fan at this point. Uh, Adam, tell the people where to find your stuff, where to follow you, all that kind of stuff. I am on Raptors Reddit, so keep your eyes on there. And you can follow me on Twitter, as always, uh, Adam underscore McQueen, I think. Something like that. And, yeah, just generally just hanging out, having a good time out in Vancouver. But hopefully I'll be out in Toronto shortly. Great. That's perfect. Uh, Adam, thanks so much for coming on. This has been a blast. No, I love it. Great as always, Sam. Yeah. And for everybody listening, thank you so much for listening. I hope that uh, we're all going to link arms and watch the Battle of Winterfell tonight. If you do listen to this tonight, you're probably crazy. Actually, this isn't even going to be up tonight. This is going up Monday. So I'm used to the Reaction <laughs> Podcast. Um, but whenever you get around to listening to this, I, I truly hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you enjoy your day or night whenever you get around to it. Have a blessed day, Adam. Thank you once again. And everybody, bye. Want to hear something amazing? 
Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.